By the power of your spirit, O oh God, startle us with your word and awaken us to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we come to the next to the last, some would say the penultimate, <laughs> in our series, the six of seven sermons on the book of Hebrews. To understand some of today's verses, it helps to know just a little bit about the Greek philosopher Plato, because some of the ideas, Plato's ideas, influenced the writer of Hebrews. Now, some of you know I was a philosophy major until the last day of classes at Davidson College, so uh, let me assure, assure you we will not get too far into the, weed, the philosophy weeds today. Here's what you need to know about Plato. He said that our view of reality is that of, kind of like that of people sitting in a, in a dark cave looking at the shadows on the wall. That is, we don't really see the real things, but just their shadows. That was the idea he called the forms. Uh, we ex that is, we experience imperfect, earthly versions of things, but the perfect things are in another realm. One Christians and some others call heaven. Well, you don't have to buy into all of Plato's philosophy to find his concepts useful. One commentator uh, pointed out you, you don't have to agree with Sigmund Freud on everything to find some of his concepts useful either. Well, for example, the, the conscience, or, I mean subconscious, or the ego, or a Freudian slip. You know what a Freudian slip is? It's when you mean one thing and you say your mother. <laughs> hmm. Well, back to Plato's ideas. You could say that the Apostle Paul had his own version of this idea that humans have a limited grasp of reality in this life. In the 2 Corinthians 13th chapter, Paul wrote, For now we see in a mirror dimly. The old King James Version said, See in, as in a dark, a glass darkly in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So listen now for the word of God in the ninth chapter of Hebrews, starting at the 23rd verse. Thus it was necessary for the sketches of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves need better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as a high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own. For then he would have had to suffer again and again, since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Oh Lord, 
May my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Are you eagerly waiting or waiting anxiously? I'm really surprised how often people mix up these two states of waiting because they are very different. Eager waiting involves longing, wishing, looking forward to. Eager waiting involves hope. By contrast, waiting anxiously involves fear. When you're waiting for medical test results, that's usually anxious waiting. When you're sitting for hours while someone you love is in surgery, that is anxious waiting. When you're traveling a long distance to see friends or family you really love or say to meet your brand new grandchild the first time, that's usually eager waiting. When you have carefully chosen really special presents for the most special people in your whole life, wondering, Will they like them? Well, okay, that's kind of mixed waiting, isn't it? <laughs> a little hope and a little anxiety. But when you think of Christ coming again, when you think about Judgment Day, are you anxiously waiting or eagerly waiting? Remember that in earlier parts of this chapter, ninth chapter, the author of Hebrews compared the sacrifice that Jesus made to the sacrifices made on the Day of Atonement, which is now called Yom Kippur. That sacrifice was to purify parts of the temple, but now he says Christ's words, Christ's sacrifice purifies the cosmos, the whole universe. The scholar Tom Long says that uh, our passage describes the crucifixion of Jesus, not with a historical report, not by describing the trial before Pontius Pilate, not with gruesome details like the nails or the spear. That is, not from a historical storytelling perspective, but in terms of what Jesus dying on the cross, what it means for you and me. Long says that the truth of the cross is accessible only by the eye of faith, not just history. The writer of Hebrews compares what the priest would do on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, with what Jesus did. But he made three distinctions. Reality versus simulation. Once versus endless repetition. And salvation versus judgment. Verse 24, in terms of reality and uh, simulation, the 24th verse says, Christ didn't enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, entered into heaven itself now to appear the presence of God on our behalf. However small or large, however plain or fancy, however new or old, the place where we worship is, what carries us into God's presence is not the art or the architecture or the stained glass or anything else, even the music, but Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 7, 25 tells us that Christ is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. You see, God is at, Christ is at God's side and Christ is on our side. 
Secondly, the once versus endless repetition, the 25th and 26th verse tell us another distinction between the work of Jesus and that of that human high priest on the day of atonement. The human priest entered the holy place year after year, blood that's not his own. But Jesus appeared once, making sacrifice of himself. And the third distinction was salvation versus judgment. Many people picture Judgment Day as the time when God will kind of check your personnel file to see whether you have been good enough to get into heaven. Well, you don't have to wonder about the answer to that question because I'll tell you right now, you haven't. You haven't and I haven't and nobody has been that good. But Hebrews 9 tells us that Jesus Christ already came to bear the sins of many and will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, he's done that, but to save those who are equally weighted. Have you ever seen those uh, bumper stickers or signs along the road that say, get right with God? We don't really need those signs anymore because of Jesus Christ, you and I have already been made right with God. We can... We can put up some new signs, maybe. Work for peace, work for justice, relieve suffering, comfort those who are sorrowful, hurting, grieving, share the love of God. God in Christ has come and is coming again to save. So to summarize, Christ has already borne our sins on the cross and Jesus Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So let me repeat that question we started with today. Are you eagerly waiting or waiting anxiously? Thanks be to God. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you and me complete in everything good so that we may do his will working among us that which is pleasing in God's sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.